I'm not dressed. Roro Raggy, hold on. Oh. Hi. <laughs> this is my special shirt, and I wear it for my streams. I gotta get it on. Hold on. Give me a sec. Hello, wonderful people. We're here, we're streaming, we're at a new location, and it's all, it's all good. Well, I will say, my face is moving all jolty again. Hmm. You know, I may eventually have to uh, come through and fix that up a little bit. That is all right. That, I believe, is less an issue. I don't think that's an issue of, um, like, see how my face gets all blurry? I don't think that's an issue of streaming. I think that's an issue of lighting, and I can definitely improve my lighting in here. Um, I am kind of near a window, so, you know, things get dimmer as I proceed. And my image might get darker, but I shall not leave you. Let me get in here to monitor my audio. What do I sound like? I sound mad decent is what I sound like. Hi. Welcome to Sidecar Stories. As usual, if you don't care for the whole, um, you know, the, the intro portion of things, that is quite all right. It makes sense. I do them because it gives people time to kind of roll in. I don't want people to miss the start of the chapter if they don't have to. But if you don't care for them, go ahead and skip forward until you see art. Some exciting things today. First of all, I'm in a new apartment. I just want to be clear, by the way. I did the things that were in my power in order to get a, uh, an apartment video to you guys. An apartment tour video. I don't think this was super important to anybody but maybe Rachel, but um, I have good footage and I was putting it together in my editor and um, over the course of, you know, two or three attempts, I just was not able to get it put together into anything. Um, it was a matter of, for some reason, it, my footage kept uh, popping. I, I tried um, my Avid system i tried uh every, i tried everything from avid to uh, windows movie maker and uh, my footage kept crashing essentially um i don't know a ton in regards to video editing as i'm sure some of you who don't care for the intros uh would state yeah i don't know a ton about video editing um but yeah my, my the footage itself was crashing um i believe it was a driver issue I'm going to keep looking into it, but we shall see. All that said, I'm in a new apartment. I'll find a way to get you guys a video, but the internet has been great so far. It is new internet. It is newly signed up with internet. And, uh, Rachel says, Hey, it cut out, but I'm here. Um, the whole stream cut out. What cut out? What happened? What's going on? Um, if you were here like about five, 10 minutes ago, um, go ahead and ignore all that. That was me just running some tests. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't related to, uh, what we're doing later on. This is the official stream. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And at this point, I'm going to ask, I'm going to make the request of you guys. I would love it if you could tell friends about this. 
we're at a good stage. You know, we're at a good stage where I feel like the the quality is pretty consistent, which is something that's really important to me. You know, I don't want to be I don't want to be doing this and promoting promoting it to people if you know if it's going to be crappy. But I think we're in a good spot now. Really quick, I'm going to see if I can improve my lighting just a sec. But let's try this. I'm not going to give it the old like, is it better with A or B? A or B. Which you'll recognize if you've ever been to like an eye doctor. What a mess. What an absolute mess. Julian says, hi Sam and Rachel and Hannah and all. I finally caught up to y'all. I'm very excited to be here for the first live stream. Wonderful. First live stream. I wish I had like a little ping I could give you or something. I don't know. Instead, fanfare, fanfare. I'm excited to have you. Today, as you all may know, chapters 9 and 10 of Harry Potter and the uh, Goblet of Fire. I'm going to do a quick review of the last uh, stream, for those of you who missed it, um, and then we're going to get into our regularly scheduled programming. So... Um, the Quidditch World Cup. It is absolute, uh, you know, top shelf excitement in the Wizarding World. This is, you know, one of the biggest events in all of, you know, in all of Wizarddom. This is huge entertainment. Um, they noticed that uh, Barty Crouch and Ludo Bagman, these are two ministry officials, um, they, uh, while well, Ludo Bagman... Uh, former Quidditch player and uh, head of Magical Games and Sports. Um, he is there. He's the announcer for the game. Um, Barty Crouch, who's in charge of uh, some other uh, magical affairs, specifically... Hmm. Julian Kadolf says he has lost all visual. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's saying the same thing on my end. Very weird indeed. I mean, the one... Uh, it's saying live up on top, and then the rest of it is telling me, uh, like I'm not getting my my own visual feed. Let me see. Let me see if I can I can adjust this really quick. And Roger's smile says, "I'm sorry, I'm a little late. It's perfectly all right. Um, you're actually not even late. You're not late to the chapter. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this sorts out. It looks like I'm back up on my end." Uh, let me know if, if uh, yeah, let me know if y'all are having some continued issues that can't be solved by, um, you know, uh, like refreshing the page. Let's see. Okay. Julian says it's on his end. Uh, I have sympathy for you, but overall, I think it's probably better than it being on my end because then you can't do anything to fix it. Oh, weird. That just fixed my face, mostly. Tell you what, I've got no idea what I'm doing. It's fantastic. Uh, we'll, we'll all learn along the way. Um, okay, so, Barty Crouch, Ludo Bagman. The, the Quidditch game, the Quidditch match is insane compared to anything Harry's ever seen. Uh, specifically... One player, Victor Crum, plays for Bulgaria. Bulgaria doesn't win, but Victor Crum is the most exciting, instinctive, fantastic Quidditch player Harry has ever seen. 
Um, they meet uh, a house elf called Winky. She belongs to um, Barty Crouch. She serves Barty Crouch. She's holding his place, but he doesn't seem to be here. It's a little odd, I think. Um, and then, finally, uh, after the match, it would appear that Fred and George made a very slick bet with Ludo Bagman, and they come to him to collect their winnings. That's where we ended. That is where we're going to pick up. And I hope you all enjoy. Let's commence, shall we? Very first chapter. Chapter 9. The Dark Mark. Don't tell your mother you've been gambling, Mr. Weasley implored Fred and George as they all made their way slowly down the purple carpeted stairs. Don't worry, Dad, said Fred gleefully. We've got big plans for this money. We don't want it confiscated. Mr. Weasley looked for a moment as though he were going to ask what these big plans were, but seemed to decide, upon reflection, that he didn't want to know. They were soon caught up in the crowds, now flooding out of the stadium and back to their campsites. Raucous singing was borne toward them on the night air as they retraced their steps along the lantern-lit path, and leprechauns kept shooting over their heads, cackling and waving their lanterns. When they finally reached the tents, nobody felt like sleeping at all, and given the levels of noise around them, Mr. Weasley agreed they could all have one last cup of cocoa together before turning in. They were soon arguing enjoyably about the match. Mr. Weasley got drawn into a disagreement about cobbing with Charlie, and it was only when Ginny fell asleep right at the tiny table and spilled hot chocolate all over the floor that Mr. Weasley called a halt to the verbal replays and insisted that everyone go to bed. Hermione and Ginny went into the next tent, and Harry and the rest of the Weasleys changed into pajamas and clambered into their beds. From the other side of the campsite, they could still hear much singing and the odd, echoing bang. <coughs> oh, am I glad that I'm not on duty, muttered Mr. Weasley sleepily. I wouldn't fancy having to go and tell the Irish they've got to stop celebrating. Harry, who was on a top bunk above Ron, lay staring at the canvas ceiling of the tent, watching the glow of an occasional leprechaun lantern flying overhead, and picturing again some of Crumb's more spectacular moves. He was itching to get back onto his own firebolt and try out the Ronsky feint. Somehow Oliver Wood had never managed to convey, with all of his wriggling diagrams, what that move was supposed to look like. Harry saw himself in robes that had his name on the back, and imagined the sensation of hearing a hundred thousand strong crowd roar as Ludo Bagman's voice echoed through the stadium. I give you Potter! Harry never knew whether or not he had actually dropped off to sleep. His fantasies of flying like Crumb might well have slipped into actual dreams. All he knew was that quite suddenly, Mr. Weasley was shouting, Get up! Run! Harry! Get up now! Come on! This is urgent! Harry sat up quickly at the top of his... Harry sat up quickly, and the top of his head hit the canvas. What's the matter? He said. 
Dimly, he could sense that something was wrong. The noises in the campsite had changed. The singing had stopped. He could hear screams and the sound of people running. He slipped down from the bunk and reached for his clothes, but Mr. Weasley, who had grabbed on his jeans and put them over his own pajamas, said, No time, hurry! Just grab a jacket and get outside, quickly! Harry did as he was told, and hurried out of the tent, Ron at his heels. By the light of the few fires that were still burning, he could see people running away into the woods, fleeing something that was moving across the field toward them, something that was emitting odd flashes of light and noises like gunfire. Loud jeering, roars of laughter and drunken yells were lifting toward them, then came a burst of strong green light which illuminated the scene. A crowd of wizards, tightly packed and moving together with wands pointed straight upward, was marching slowly across the field. Harry squinted at them. They didn't seem to have faces. Then he realized that their heads were hooded and their faces masked. High above them, floating along in midair, four struggling shapes were being contorted into grotesque shapes. Oh, excuse me. Four struggling figures were being contorted into grotesque shapes. It was as though the masked wizards on the ground were puppeteers, and the people above them were marionettes, operated by invisible strings that rose from the wands into the air. Two of the figures were very small. More wizards were joining the marching group, laughing and pointing up at the floating bodies. Tents crumpled and fell as the marching crowd swelled. Once or twice, Harry saw one of the marchers blast a tent out of his way with his wand. Several caught fire. The screaming grew louder. The floating people were suddenly illuminated as they passed over a burning tent, and Harry recognized one of them. Mr. Roberts, the campsite manager. The other three looked as though they might be his wife and children. One of the marchers below flipped Mrs. Roberts upside down with his wand. Her nightdress fell down to reveal voluminous, voluminous drawers. She struggled to cover herself up as the crowd below her screeched and hooted with glee. That's sick, Ron muttered watching the smallest muggle child who had begun to spin like a top, sixty feet above the ground, his head flopping limply from side to side. That is really sick. Hermione and Ginny came hurrying toward them, pulling coats over their nightdresses with Mr. Weasley right behind them. At the same moment, Bill, Charlie, and Percy emerged from the boys' tent, fully dressed, with their sleeves rolled up and their wands out. "'We're going to help the Ministry!' Mr. Weasley shouted over all the noise, rolling up his own sleeves. "'You lot, get into the woods and stick together. I'll come and fetch you when we've got this sorted out!' Bill, Charlie, and Percy were already sprinting away toward the oncoming marchers. Mr. Weasley tore after them. Ministry wizards were dashing from every direction toward the source of the trouble. The crowd beneath the Roberts family was coming ever closer." <clears throat> Come on, said Fred, grabbing Ginny's hand and starting to pull her toward the wood. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and George followed. They all looked back as they reached the trees. The crowd beneath the Roberts family was larger than ever. They could see the Ministry Wizards trying to get through it, 
to the hooded wizards in the center, but they were having great difficulty. It looked as though they were scared to perform any spell that might make the Roberts family fall. The colored lanterns that had lit the path to the stadium had been extinguished. Dark figures were blundering through the trees. Children were crying. Anxious shouts and panicked voices were reverberating around them in the cold night air. Harry felt himself being pushed hither and thither by people whose faces he could not see. Then he heard Ron yell with pain. "'What happened?' said Hermione anxiously, stopping so abruptly that Harry walked into her. "'Ron, where are you? Oh, this is stupid. Lumos!' She illuminated her wand and directed its narrow beam across the path. Ron was lying sprawled on the ground. "'Tripped over a tree root,' he said angrily, getting to his feet again. "'Well, with feet that size, it's hard not to,' said a drawling voice from behind them. Harry, Ron, and Hermione turned sharply. Draco Malfoy was standing alone nearby, leaning against a tree, looking utterly relaxed. His arms folded, he seemed to have been watching the scene at the campsite through a gap in the trees. Ron told Malfoy to do something that Harry knew he would never have dared say in front of Mrs. Weasley. Language, Weasley, said Malfoy, his pale eyes glittering. Hadn't you better be hurrying along now? You wouldn't want her spotted, would you? He nodded at Hermione, and at the same moment a blast like a bomb sounded from the campsite and a flash of green light momentarily lit the trees around them. "'What's that supposed to mean?' said Hermione defiantly. "'Granger, they're after muggles,' said Malfoy. "'Do you want to be showing off your knickers in midair? Because if you do, hang around.' They're moving this way, and it would give us all a laugh. Hermione's a witch, Harry snarled. Have it your own way, Potter, said Malfoy, grinning maliciously. If you think they can't spot a mudblood, stay where you are. You watch your mouth, shouted Ron. Everybody present knew that mudblood was a very offensive term for a witch or wizard of muggle parentage. "'Never mind, Ron,' said Hermione quickly, seizing Ron's arm to restrain him as he took a step toward Malfoy. There came a bang from the other side of the trees that was louder than anything they had heard. Several people nearby screamed. Malfoy chuckled softly. "'Scare easily, don't they?' he said lazily. "'I suppose your daddy told you all to hide.' What's he up to? Trying to rescue the muggles? Where are your parents? said Harry, his temper rising now. Out there wearing masks, aren't they? Malfoy turned his face to Harry, still smiling. Well, if they were, I wouldn't be likely to tell you, would I, Potter? Oh, "'Come on,' said Hermione, with a disgusted look at Malfoy. "'Let's go and find the others.' 
Keep that big, bushy head down, Granger, sneered Malfoy. Come on, Hermione repeated, and she pulled Harry and Ron up the path again. I'll bet you anything his dad is one of that masked lot, said Ron hotly. Well, with any luck, the Ministry will catch him, said Hermione fervently. Oh, I can't believe this. Where have the others got to? Fred, George, and Ginny were nowhere to be seen, though the path was packed with plenty of other people, all looking nervously over their shoulders toward the commotion back at the campsite. A huddle of teenagers in pajamas was arguing vociferously a little way along the path. When they saw Harry, Ron, and Hermione, a girl with thick curly hair turned and said quickly, Oh, is the Madame Massine? Nous l'avons perdu. Uh, what? said Ron. Oh! The girl who had spoken turned her back on him. As they walked on, they distinctly heard her say, Hogwarts. Hmm, Beberton, muttered Hermione. Sorry, said Harry. They must be Beberton, said Hermione. You know, Beberton Academy of Magic? I read about it in an appraisal of magical education in Europe. Oh, yeah, right, said Harry. Fred and George can't have gone that far, said Ron, pulling out his wand, lighting it like Hermione's and squinting up the path. Harry dug in the pockets of his jacket for his own wand. But it wasn't there. The only thing he could find was his omnioculars. Oh no, I can't believe it! I've lost my wand! You're kidding. Ron and Hermione raised their wands high enough to spread the narrow beams of light further along the ground. Harry looked all around him, but his wand was nowhere to be seen. Maybe it's back in the tent, said Ron. Maybe it fell out of your pocket while you, we were running, Hermione suggested anxiously. Yeah, said Harry. Maybe. He usually kept his wand with him at all times in the wizarding world, and finding himself without it in the midst of a scene like this made him feel very vulnerable. A rustling noise nearby made all three of them jump. Winky the house-elf was fighting her way out of a clump of bushes nearby. She was moving in a most peculiar fashion, apparently with great difficulty. It was as though someone invisible were trying to hold her back. bad wizards about she squeaked distractedly as she leaned forward and labored to keep running people high high in the air winky is getting out of the way and she disappeared into the trees on the other side of the path panting and squeaking as she fought the force that was restraining her what's up with her said ron looking curiously after Winky. Why can't she run properly? I bet she didn't ask permission to hide, said Harry. He was thinking of Darby. Every time he had tried to do something the Malfoys didn't like, the house elf had been forced to start beating himself up. You know, house elves get a very raw deal, said Hermione indignantly. It is slavery, that's what it is. That's... 
Mr. Crouch made her go up to the top of the stadium, and she was terrified, and she's got her... And he's got her bewitched, so she can't even run away when they start trampling tents. Why doesn't anyone do something about it? Well, the elves are happy, aren't they? said Ron. You heard old Winky back at the match. House elves is not supposed to have fun. That's what she likes, being bossed around. It's people like you, Ron, Hermione began hotly, who prop up rotten and unjust systems just because they're too lazy to... Another bang echoed across the edge of the wood. Let's just keep moving, shall we? said Ron, and Harry saw him glance edgily at Hermione. Perhaps there was truth in what Malfoy had said. Perhaps Hermione was in more danger than they were. They set off again, Harry still searching his pockets even though he knew his wand wasn't there. They followed the dark path deeper into the wood, still keeping an eye out for Fred, George, and Ginny. They passed a group of goblins who were cackling over a sack of gold they had undoubtedly won in the match, and who seemed quite unperturbed by the trouble at the campsite. Further still along the path, they walked into a patch of silvery light. When they looked through the trees, they saw three tall and beautiful villas standing in a clearing, surrounded by a gaggle of young wizards, all of whom were talking very loudly. "'I pull down a hundred sacks of galleons a year!' one of them shouted. I'm a dragon killer for the Committee of Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. No, you're not, yelled his friend. You're a dishwasher at the Leaky Cauldron. But I'm a vampire hunter. I've killed about ninety so far. A third young wizard, a third young wizard whose pimples were visible even by the dim, silvery light of the villa, now cut in. I'm about to be the youngest ever Minister of Magic, I am. Harry snorted with laughter. He recognized the pimply wizard. His name was Stan Shunpike, and he was, in fact, a conductor on the triple-decker night bus. He turned to tell Ron this, but Ron's face had gone oddly slack. The next second, Ron was yelling, Didn't I tell you? I've invented a broomstick that'll reach Jupiter! Honestly, said Hermione, and she and Harry grabbed Ron firmly by the arms wheeled him around and marched him away. By the time the sounds of the villa and their admirers had faded completely, they were in the very heart of the wood. They seemed to be alone now. Everything was much quieter. Harry looked around. I reckon we can just wait here, you know. We'll hear anyone coming from a mile off. The words were hardly out of his mouth when Ludo Bagman emerged from a tree right behind of them. Oh, excuse me, right ahead of them. Even by the feeble light of the two wands, Harry could see that a great change had come over Bagman. He no longer looked buoyant and rosy-faced. There was no more spring in his step. He looked very white and strained. Who's that? he said, blinking down at them, trying to make out their faces. What are you doing in here, all alone? They looked at one another, surprised. Well, there's a sort of riot going on, said Ron. Bagman stared at him. What? At the campsite. Some people have got a hold of a family of muggles. 
Bagman swore loudly. "'Damn them!' he said, looking quite distracted, and without another word, he disapparated with a small pop. "'Not exactly on top of things, Mr. Bagman, is he?' said Hermione, frowning. "'He was a great beater, though,' said Ron, leading the way off the path into a small clearing and sitting down on a patch of dry grass at the foot of a tree. The Wimborne Wasps won the league three times in a row while he was with them. He took his, fa his, he took his small figure of crumb out of his pocket, set it down on the ground, and watched it walk around. Like the real crumb, the model was slightly duck-footed and round-shouldered, much less impressive on his splayed feet than on his broomstick. Harry was listening for noise from the campsite. Everything seemed much quieter. Perhaps the riot was over. I hope the others are okay, said Hermione after a while. We'll be fine, said Ron. Imagine if your dad catches Lucius Malfoy, said Harry, sitting down next to Ron and watching the small figure of Crumb slouching over the fallen leaves. He's always said he'd like to get something on him. <laughs> I'll wipe the smirk off old Draco's face, all right, said Ron. Those poor muggles, though, said Hermione nervously. What if they can't get them down? They will, said Ron, reassuringly. We'll find a way. Mad, though, to do something like that when the whole Ministry of Magic's out here tonight, said Hermione. I mean, how do they expect to get away with it? Do you think they've been drinking, or are they just... But she broke off abruptly and looked over her shoulder. Harry and Ron looked quickly around, too. It sounded as though someone was staggering toward their clearing. They waited, listening to the sounds of the uneven steps behind the dark trees. But the footsteps came to a sudden halt. Hello? called Harry. There was silence. Harry got to his feet and peered around the tree. It was too dark to see very far, but he could sense somebody standing just beyond the range of his vision. Who's there? he said. And then, without warning, the silence was rent by a voice unlike any they had heard in the wood, and it uttered not a panicked shout, but what sounded like a spell. Morse And something vast, green, and glittering erupted from the patch of darkness Harry's eyes had been struggling to penetrate. It flew up over the treetops and into the sky. What the... gasped Ron as he sprang to his feet again, staring up at the thing that had appeared. For a split second, Harry thought it was another leprechaun forming. Then he realized that it was a colossal skull, comprised of what looked like emerald stars, with a serpent protruding from its mouth like a tongue. As they watched, it rose higher and higher, blazing in a haze of greenish smoke etched against the black sky like a new constellation. Suddenly, the wood all around them erupted with screams, Harry didn't understand why, but the only possible cause was the sudden appearance of the skull, 
which had now risen high enough to illuminate the entire wood, like some ghastly neon sign. He scanned the darkness for any person. Um, he scanned the darkness for the person who had conjured the skull, but he couldn't see anyone. Who's there? He called again. Harry, come on, move! Hermione had seized the collar of his jacket and was tugging him backward. What's the matter? Harry said, startled to see her face so white and terrified. It's the dark mark, Harry, Hermione moaned, pulling him as hard as she could. You know whose sign? Voldemort! Harry, come on! Harry turned. Ron was hurriedly scooping up his miniature crumb. The three of them started across the clearing. Before they had taken a few hurried steps, a series of popping noises announced the arrival of twenty wizards, appearing from thin air, surrounding them. Harry whirled around, and in an instant he registered one fact. Each of these wizards had his wand out, and every wand was pointing right at himself, Ron, and Hermione. Without pausing to think, he yelled, Duck! He seized the other two and pulled them down onto the ground. Stupefy! roared twenty voices. It was a blinding series of flashes, and Harry felt the hair on his head ripple as though a powerful wind had swept the clearing. Swept. Raising his head a fraction of an inch, he saw jets of fiery red flying from the wizard's wands, crossing one another, bouncing off of tree trunks, rebounding into the darkness. Stop! yelled a voice he recognized. Stop! That's my son! Harry's hair stopped blowing about. He raised his head a little higher. The wizard in front of him had lowered his wand. He rolled over and saw Mr. Weasley striding toward them, looking terrified. Hurry! Run! His voice sounded shaky. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that again because I, I believe the order might be important. Just mildly. He rolled over and saw Mr. Weasley striding toward them, looking terrified. Run! Harry! His voice sounded shaky. Hermione! Are you all right? Out of the way, Arthur, said a cold, curt voice. It was Mr. Crouch. He and the other Ministry wizards were closing in on them. Harry got to his feet to face them. Mr. Crouch's face was taut with rage. Which of you did that? He snapped, his sharp eyes darting between them. Which of you conjured the dark mark? We didn't do that, said Harry, gesturing up at the skull. We didn't do anything, said Ron, who was rubbing his elbow and looking indignantly at his father. What did you want to attack us for? Do not lie, sir! shouted Mr. Crouch. His wand was still pointing directly at Ron, and his eyes were popping. He looked slightly mad. You've been discovered at the scene of the crime! Barty, whispered a witch with a long woolen dressing gown. They're kids, Barty. They'd never have been able to... Where did the mark come from, you three? said Mr. Weasley quickly. Over there, said Hermione shakily pointing at the place where they had heard the voice. There was someone behind the trees. They shouted 
words in, in incantation. Oh, stood over there, did they? said Mr. Crouch, turning his popping eyes on Hermione now. Disbelief etched all over his face. Said an incantation, did they? You seem very well informed about how the mark is summoned, Missy. But none of the Ministry Wizards apart from Mr. Crouch seemed to think it remotely possible that Harry, Ron, or Hermione had conjured the skull. On the contrary, at Hermione's words, they all raised their wands again and were pointing in the direction she had indicated, squinting through the dark trees. We're too late said the witch in the woolen dressing gown, shaking her head. They'll have disapparated. I don't think so, said a wizard with a scrubby brown beard. It was Amos Diggory, Cedric's father. Our stunners went right through those trees. There's a good chance we got them. Amos, be careful, said a few of the wizards warningly, as Mr. Diggory squared his shoulders raised his wand, marched across the clearing, and disappeared into the darkness. Hermione watched him vanish with her hands over her mouth. A few seconds later they heard Mr. Diggory shout. Yes, we got them! There's someone here! Unconscious, but it's... Blimey! You've got someone? shouted Mr. Crouch, sounding slightly disbelieving. Who? Who is it? They heard snapping twigs. The rushing... They heard snapping twigs, the rustling of leaves, and then crunching footsteps as Mr. Diggory re-emerged from behind the trees. He was carrying a tiny limp figure in his arms. Harry recognized the tea towel at once. It was Winky. Mr. Crouch did not move or speak as Mr. Diggory deposited his elf on the ground at his feet. The other ministry wizards were all staring at Mr. Crouch. For a few seconds, Crouch remained transfixed, his eyes blazing in his white face as he stared down at Winky. Then he appeared to come to life again. This cannot be... He said jerkily. No. He moved quickly around Mr. Diggory and strode off toward the place where he had found Winky. No point, Mr. Crouch! Mr. Diggory called after him. No one else there! But Mr. Crouch did not seem prepared to take his word for it. They could hear him moving around and the rustling of leaves as he pushed the bushes aside, searching. Um, been embarrassing? Mr. Diggory said grimly, looking down at Winky's unconscious form. Barty Crouch's house-elf, I mean to say. Oh, come off it, Amos, said Mr. Weasley quietly. You don't seriously think that it was the elf. The dark mark is a wizard sign. It requires a wand. Yes, said Mr. Diggory, and she had a wand. What? said Mr. Diggory. Here, look! Mr. Diggory held up a wand and showed it to Mr. Weasley. Had it in her hand! 
So that's clause three of the code of wand use broken for a start. No human, no, no non-human creature is permitted to carry or use a wand. Just then there was another pop and Ludo Bagman apparated right next to Mr. Weasley. Looking breathless and disoriented, he spun on the spot, goggling upward at the emerald green skull. A dark mark, he panted, almost trampling Winky as he turned inquiringly to his colleagues. Who did it? Did you get them? Barty, what's going on? Mr. Crouch had returned, empty-handed. His face was still ghostly white, and his hands and his toothbrush mustache were both twitching. Where have you been, Barty? said Bagman. Why weren't you at the match? Your elf was saving you a seat, too. Gulp and gargoyles. Bagman had just noticed Winky lying at his feet. What happened to her? I've been busy, Ludo, said Mr. Crouch, still talking in the same jerky fashion, barely moving his lips. And my elf has been stunned. Stunned? By you lot, you mean? But why? Comprehension dawned suddenly on Bagman's round, shiny face. He looked up at the skull, down at Winky, and then at Mr. Crouch. No, he said. Winky? Conjure the dark mark? She wouldn't know how. She'd need a wand for start. And she had one, said Mr. Diggory. I found her holding one, Ludo. It's all right with you, Mr. Crouch. I think we should hear what she's got to say for herself. Crouch gave no sign that he had heard Mr. Diggory, but Mr. Diggory seemed to take his silence for assent. He raised his own wand, pointed it at Winky, and said, Renovate! Winky stirred feebly. Her great brown eyes opened, and she blinked several times in a bemused sort of way. Watched by the silent wizards, she raised herself shakily into a sitting position. She caught sight of Mr. Diggory's feet and slowly, tremulously, raised her eyes to stare up into his face. Then, more slowly still, she looked up into the sky. Harry could see the floating skull reflected twice in her enormous glassy eyes. She gave a gasp, looked wildly around at the crowded clearing, and burst into terrified sobs. Elf, said Mr. Diggory sternly, do you know who I am? I'm a member of the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Winky began to rock backward and forward on the ground, her breath coming in sharp bursts. Harry was reminded forcibly of Dobby in his moments of terrified disobedience. As you see, Elf the Dark Mark was conjured here a short while ago, said Mr. Diggory, and you were discovered moments later right beneath it. An explanation, if you please. I, I, I is not doing it, sir. Winky gasped. 
I is not knowing how, sir. You have found with a wand in your hand, barked Mr. Diggory, <coughs> brandishing it in front of her. As the wand caught the green light that was filling the clearing from the skull above, Harry recognized it. Hey, that's mine, he said. Everyone in the clearing looked at him. Excuse me, said Mr. Diggory, incredulously. That's my wand, said Harry. I dropped it. You dropped it, repeated Mr. Diggory in disbelief. Is this a confession? You threw it aside after you conjured the mark? Amos, think who you're talking to, said Mr. Weasley, very angrily. Is Harry Potter likely to have conjured the dark mark? Uh, of course not, mumbled Mr. Diggory. Sorry, I carried away. I didn't drop it there anyway, said Harry, jerking his thumb toward the trees behind the skull. Oh, excuse me, jerking his thumb toward the trees beneath the skull. I missed it right after we got into the wood. Anjali, welcome. So, said Mr. Diggory, his eyes hardening as he turned to look at Winky again, cowering at his feet. You found this wand, eh, elf? You picked it up and thought you'd have some fun with it, did you? Ooh. Mr. Diggory's voice is a lot. I is not doing magic with it, sir, squealed Winky tears streaming down the sides of her squashed and bulbous nose. I is, I is, I is just picking it up, sir. I is not making the dark mark, sir. I is not knowing how. It wasn't her, said Hermione. She looked very nervous, speaking up in front of all these ministry wizards, yet determined all the same. Winky's got a squeaky little voice, and the voice we heard doing incantation was much deeper. She looked around at Harry and Ron, appealing for their support. It didn't sound anything like Winky, did it? No, said Harry, shaking his head. It definitely didn't sound like an elf. Yeah, it was a human voice, said Ron. Well, we'll soon see, growled Mr. Diggory looking unimpressed. As a simple way of discovering the last spell that a wand performed, Elf. Did you know that? Winky trembled and shook her head frantically, her ears flapping as Mr. Diggory raised his own wand again and placed it tip to tip with Harry's. Prior incantato! roared Mr. Diggory. Harry heard Hermione gasp, horrified, as a gigantic serpent-tongued skull erupted from the point where the two wands met. But it was a mere shadow of the green skull high above them. It looked as though it were made of a thick grey smoke, the ghost of a spell. Delitrius, Mr. Diggory shouted, and the smoky skull vanished in a wisp of smoke. So, <coughs> good lord, 
Oh, man. Mr. Diggory might need a new voice. He's going to get a vocal cord transplant. Yeah. So that I don't have to get one. So, said Mr. Diggory with a kind of savage triumph, looking down upon Winky, who was still shaking convulsively. I is not doing it, sir, she squealed, her eyes rolling in terror. I is not, I is not, I is not knowing how. I is a good elf. I isn't using wands, I isn't knowing how. You've been caught red-handed, elf, Mr. Diggory roared. Caught with the guilty wand in your hand. Yeah, exactly, androgynous. I'm casually dying. Cheers. Amos, said Mr. Weasley loudly, think about it. Precious few wizards know how to do that spell. Where would she have learned it? Perhaps Amos is suggesting, said Mr. Crouch, cold anger in every syllable. And I routinely teach my servants to conjure the dark mark. There was a deeply unpleasant silence. Amos Diggory looked horrified. Mr. Crouch, not... not at all. You've now come very close to accusing the two people in this clearing who are least likely to conjure the mark, barked Mr. Crouch. Henry Potter and myself. I suppose you are familiar with the boy's story, Amos. Of course, ev everyone knows, muttered Mr. Diggory, looking highly discomforted. And I trust you remember the many proofs I have given over a long career that I despise and detest the dark arts and those who practice them. Mr. Crouch shouted, his eyes bulging again. Mr. Crouch, I never suggested that you had anything to do with it, Amos Diggory muttered again now reddening behind his scrubby brown beard. "'If you accuse my elf, you accuse me, Diggory,' shouted Mr. Crouch. "'Where else would she have learned to conjure it?' "'She might have picked it up anywhere.' "'Precisely, Amos,' said Mr. Weasley. "'She might have picked it up anywhere.' "'Winky,' he said kindly, turning to the elf, but she flinched as though he too were shouting at her. Winky, where exactly did you find Harry's wand? Winky was twisted. I, I is finding it, finding it there, sir, said Mr. Weasley. Whoever conjured the dark mark could have disapparated right after they had done it, leaving Harry's wand behind. A clever thing to do, not using their own wand, which could have betrayed them. And Winky here had the misfortune to come across the one moments later and pick it up. But then she'd only have been a few feet from the real culprit, said Mr. Diggory impatiently. Elf, did you see anyone? Winky began to tremble worse than ever. Her giant eyes flickered from Mr. Diggory to Ludo Bagman and on to Mr. Crouch. Then she gulped and said, I 
is seeing no one, sir. No one. Amos, said Mr. Crouch curtly, I'm fully aware that in the ordinary course of events you would like to take Winky into your department for questioning. I ask you, however, to allow me to deal with her. Mr. Diggory looked as though he didn't think much of this suggestion at all. But it was clear to Harry that Mr. Crouch was such an important member of the Ministry that he did not dare refuse him. You may rest assured she will be punished, Mr. Crouch added coldly. Um, master, Winky stammered, looking up at Mr. Crouch, her eyes brimming with tears. Master! Mr. Crouch stared back, his face somehow sharpened, each line upon it more deeply etched. There was no pity in his gaze. Winky has behaved in a manner tonight I would have not believed possible, he said slowly. I told her to remain in the tent. I told her to stay there while I went to sort out the trouble, and I find that she disobeyed me. This means clothes. No! shrieked Winky, prostrating herself at Mr. Crouch's feet. No, master, not clothes, not clothes! Harry knew that the only way to turn a house elf free was to present it with proper garments. It was pitiful to see the way Winky clutched at her tea towel as she sobbed at Mr. Crouch's feet. But she was frightened, Hermione burst out angrily, glaring at Mr. Crouch. Your elf is scared of heights. Those wizards in masks were levitating people. You can't blame her for wanting to get out of their way. Mr. Crouch took a step backward. Freeing himself from contact with the elf, who he was surveying now as though she were something filthy and rotten, that was contaminating over his... Oh. Whom he was surveying as though she were something filthy and rotten, that he was contaminating... Mm. Oh, boy. Whom he was surveying as though she were something filthy and rotten, that was contaminating his overshined shoes. I have no use for a house elf who disobeys me, he said coldly, looking over at Hermione. I have no use for a servant who forgets what is due to her master and to her master's reputation. Winky was crying so hard that her sobs echoed around the clearing. There was a very nasty silence, which was ended by Mr. Weasley, who said quietly, Well, I think I'll take my lot back to the tent, if nobody's got any objections. Amos, that wand has told us all that it can. If Harry could have it back, please. Mr. Diggory handed Harry's wand back to him and Harry pocketed it. "'Come on, you three,' said Mr. Weasley, quietly. 
but Hermione didn't seem to want to move. Her eyes were still upon the sobbing elf. Hermione, Mr. Weasley said, more urgently. She turned and followed Harry and Ron out of the clearing and off through the trees. What's going to happen to Winky? said Hermione, the moment they had left the clearing. I don't know, said Mr. Weasley. The way that they were treating her, said Hermione furiously. Mr. Diggory calling her elf all the time, and Mr. Crouch. He knows she didn't do it, and he's still going to sack her. He didn't care how frightened she'd been or how upset she was. It was like she wasn't even human. Well, she's not, said Ron. Hermione rounded on him. That doesn't mean she hasn't got feelings, Ron. It's disgusting, the way that— Hermione, I agree with you, said Mr. Weasley quickly, beckoning her on. But now is not the time to discuss elf rights. I want to get back to the tent as fast as we can. What happened to the others? We lost them in the dark, said Ron. Dad, why is everyone so uptight about that skull thing? I'll explain everything back at the tent, said Mr. Weasley tensely. But when they reached the edge of the wood, their progress was impeded. A large crowd of frightened-looking witches and wizards was congregated there, and when they saw Mr. Weasley coming toward them, many of them surged forward. What's going on in there? Who conjured it? Arthur, it's not him. Of course it's not him, said Mr. Weasley impatiently. We don't know who it was. It looks like they disappeared. Now, excuse me, please, I want to go to bed. He led Harry, Ron, and Hermione through the crowd and back into the campsite. All was quiet now. There was no sign of the masked wizards, though several ruined tents were still smoking. Charlie's head was poking out of the boy's tent. Dad, what's going on? He called through the dark. Fred, George, and Ginny got back okay, but the others... I've got them here, said Mr. Weasley, bending down and entering the tent. Harry, Ron, and Hermione entered after him. Bill was sitting at the small kitchen table, holding a bedsheet to his arm, which was bleeding profusely. Charlie had a large rip in his shirt, and Percy was sporting a bloody nose. Fred, George, and Ginny looked unhurt, though shaken. Did you get them, Dad? said Bill sharply. The person who conjured the dark mark. No, said Mr. Weasley. We found Barty Crouch's elf holding Harry's wand, but we're none the wiser about who actually conjured the mark. What? said Bill, Charlie, and Percy together. Harry's wand? said Fred. Mr. Crouch's elf? said Percy, sounding thunderstruck. With some assistance from Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Mr. Weasley explained what had happened in the woods. When they had finished their story, Percy swelled indignantly. Well, Mr. Crouch is quite right to get rid of an elf like that, he said, running away when he'd expressly told her not to. 
embarrassing him in front of the whole ministry. How would that have looked if she'd been brought up in front of the department for the regulation and control? She didn't do anything. She was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hermione snapped at Percy, who looked very taken aback. Hermione had always got on fairly well with Percy. Better, indeed, than any of the others. Hermione, a wizard in Mr. Crouch's position, can't afford a house elf who's going to run amok with a wand, said Percy pompously, recovering himself. She didn't run amok, shouted Hermione. She just picked it up off the ground. Look, can someone just explain what that skull thing was? said Ron impatiently. It wasn't hurting anyone. Why is it such a big deal? I told you, it's you-know-who's symbol, Ron, said Hermione, before anyone else could answer. I read about it in the rise and fall of the Dark Hearts. And it hasn't been seen for thirteen years, said Mr. Weasley quietly. Of course people panicked. It was almost like seeing you-know-who back again. I don't get it, said Ron, frowning. I mean, it's still only a shape in the sky. Ron, you know who and his followers sent the dark mark into the air, whatever they killed, said Mr. Weasley. The terror it inspires. You've no idea. You're too young. Just picture coming home and finding the dark mark hovering over your house and knowing what you're about to find inside. Mr. Weasley winced. Everyone's worst fear. The very worst. There was silence for a moment. Then Bill, removing the sheet from his arm to check on his cut, said, well, didn't help us tonight, whoever conjured it. I scared the deathy. Oh, it scared the Death Eaters away the moment they saw it. They all disappeared before we got anywhere near close enough to unmask any of them. We caught the Robertses before they hit the ground, though. They're having their memories modified right now. Death Eaters? said Harry. What are Death Eaters? It's what you know who supporters called themselves, said Bill. I think we saw what's left of them tonight. The ones who managed to keep themselves out of Azkaban, anyway. We can't prove it was them, Bill, said Mr. Weasley. Though it probably was, he added hopelessly. Yeah, I bet it was, said Ron suddenly. Dad, we met Draco Malfoy in the woods. I was he as good as told us his dad was one of those nutters in the masks. And we all know the Malfoys are right in with you know who. But what were Voldemort's supporters? Harry began. Everyone flinched. Like most of the wizarding world, the Weasleys always avoided saying Voldemort's name. I'm sorry, said Harry quickly. What were you know who supporters up to? Levitating muggles? I mean, what was the point? The point, said
said Mr. Weasley with a hollow laugh. <laughs> oh, Harry, that's their idea of fun. Half the muggle killings back when you know who was in power were done for fun. I suppose they had a few drinks in tonight and couldn't resist reminding us all that there are lots of them still at large. A nice little reunion for them, he finished disgustedly. But if they were the Death Eaters, why did they disapparate when they saw the Dark Mark? said Ryan. They would have been pleased to see it, wouldn't they? Use your brains, Ron, said Bill. If they really were the Death Eaters... Yeah, if they really were Death Eaters, they worked very hard to keep out of Azkaban when you know who lost power. Told all sorts of lies about him forcing them to kill and torture people. But they'd be even more frightened than the rest of us to see him come back. They denied they'd ever been involved with him when he lost his powers. Went back to their daily lives. I don't reckon he'd be over pleased with them, do you? So, whoever conjured the Dark Mark, said Hermione slowly, were they doing it to show support for the Death Eaters? Or to scare them away? Your guess is as good as ours, Hermione, said Mr. Weasley. But I'll tell you this. It was only the Death Eaters who ever knew how to conjure it. I'd be very surprised if the person who had it... I'd be very surprised if the person who did it hadn't been a Death Eater once even if they're not now. Oh, listen, it's very late, and if your mother hears what's happening, she'll be worried sick. We'll get a few more hours sleep and then try to get an early porky out of here. Harry got back into his bunk with his head buzzing. He knew he ought to feel exhausted. It was nearly three in the morning, but he felt wide awake, wide awake and worried. Three days ago, it felt like much longer, but it had been only three days. He had awoken with his scar burning. And tonight, for the first time in thirteen years, Lord Voldemort's mark had appeared in the sky. What did these things mean? He thought of the letter he had written to Sirius before leaving Privet Drive. Would Sirius have gotten it yet? When would he reply? Harry lay looking up at the canvas, but no flying fantasies came to him now to ease him off to sleep. And it was a long time after Charlie's snores filled the tent that Harry finally dozed off. And that is the end of the chapter for tonight. First chapter in the new place. As usual, I'm going to take a quick five-minute break. When I get back, I will discuss anything that has been put in the chat. So if you've got questions, if you've got concerns, to our last chapter of the, of, uh, of the night, that was a long chapter. Chapter 9 was a long chapter. Um, chapter 10 is uh, much more... Uh, it's, it's significantly smaller. Uh, it's only about 10 pages. So... Overall, I'd say we're going to come in at about normal time tonight with one long chapter and then 
our next chapter, which is pretty short. So please join me. Uh, like I said, I'd love to see anything in chat, and I will see you all in about five minutes. Adios. Hey, y'all. Just messing around. Good grief. Look at this. Look at this mess. Got my forehead all messed up. I'm going to start from the top. So, Julian. Julian says the voices are great, but they sound like a lot of work. I like the trick you did with the uh, Sonorous Charm last night. Yes, that one was a lot of fun. Um, I was afraid it was going to be absolute chaos, but it sounded like it kind of worked. It sounded like it worked pretty well. Um, interesting little thing. I'm glad I was able to pull it off. I'm also glad I found it, too, because it kind of came at just the perfect time. I had never messed with that before. Um, and it's essentially just, you know, my I, I had my earbuds off. Earbuds on earbuds unplugged and um, I was turning the laptop speakers on it worked some thoughts says Julian it's so strange that they f threaten freedom with the house elves yeah and you know it, it uh, I think it makes sense to us as as people who are mostly free and then and a, a occasionally subjected um, but imagine someone who is always subject, subjected uh, and doesn't know what it's like to be free freedom could be terrifying freedom could be terrifying I think it's a bit uh, I think people have this sort of mentality uh, sometimes when it comes to religion as well you know when you, it doesn't sort of matter what's above you whether it's you know Barty Crouch or whoever as long as there's something above you it feels like there is something to kind of protect you from the chaos of the world there's somebody there that will keep your world consistent. That world might not necessarily be great, but that person will keep your world consistent. Um, and so it's it's definitely a fear that you know with that that covering gone, then you're just exposed to the the you know whatever horrible, chaotic, random chances might befall you in the chaotic world. Julian also says, I imagine that Hermione feels upset because to part of the wizarding world, she's thought of on the same level as elves. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, we saw, again, this is one of the reasons I really enjoy this section of the books. We're seeing the wizarding world at large. We're seeing some of the, over, some really overtly negative parts of the wizarding world, you know? We've had experience with, we've talked about Voldemort before. We know he's a bad guy. We know he's technically like, he's technically a part of, of, the wizarding world but he's not part of the you know political or social movements within the world and we're getting a clear a very clear view on some very interesting things you know uh entertainment uh thoughts on 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 rights the the rights of individuals um on freedom uh on bigotry it's an amazing little section of the book where suddenly this is wide open to harry in ways that it never has been before and by the same uh token to us as well um but yeah i think you know hermione is looking out at this and and realizes you know unlike at school where she's treated fairly equally you know she's had some issues with uh you know other bigoted students in the past but nobody with any real power over her um hermione looks out and sees there are people with the power and the will to do her harm 
and I imagine that stirs up quite a few emotions. It certainly would in me. Um, and in this particular case, they are sort of coming out relating to Winky the House Elf. I suppose we'll be seeing more of this, won't we? We will be, for anybody who's been a part of these stories before. Androgynous Smile says, welcome back. Thank you very much. Um, Androgynous also says, I enjoy the books more than the movies due to the fact that we get more story. I know. There's so much here. There's so much material. There's so much world to get into that we never get into in the movies. I wish I wish that we could get a, uh, honestly, a, a, um, an, a seven or eight episode seven or eight season series of Harry Potter where we go through the whole thing book by book you know ep uh, episode by episode or excuse me a season by season I think that'd be fantastic the movies as they are long are missing a lot of prudent scenes and info I feel it would be great to have met Winky in the movie. Also, this chapter could have been drawn out more in the movie. I agree 100%. You know, we are, we're learning so much here uh, that we just never learn in the movies. Um, and I understand, you know, I'm, I'm a, I like movies. I, I much prefer uh, TV shows. And even more so, I like to get my stories through books because there's no sense that we have to rush things or fit things into an hour or an hour and a half, what have you. Um, but we do miss out on a lot. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I think there are a lot of people who have experienced Harry Potter light. You know, they've experienced the movie version of this, which which many people put in some serious time and creative effort um, into putting together. I don't fault any of those people in the least. But for those people who have experienced only that interpretation of it and not the the core of it the heart of it um i i i hope you can join me here everyone should join me here welcome and to anyone who doesn't know what this is my name is sam this is sidecar stories and we are in the midst almost exactly in the mid midst of our read through of the harry potter series um, you know, if we're going by, you know, percentages of of books, of course, if we went by page count, we would be at, I would say, maybe the one-third mark. I haven't done a full count myself, so I'm not sure, but um, exciting nonetheless. Going start to finish, um, we're in the midst of book four, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and we have just watched Chaos and Conflict in the, uh, in the wake of the Quidditch World Cup. Over the course of this last chapter, uh, we noticed that uh, you know the, the things were calming down after the after the uh, the Quidditch match. People were going back to their tents, going to bed, and then suddenly Harry is being shaken awake by Mr. Weasley. Um, they come out of the tent and find that uh, things have gone crazy outside. Essentially, there are a group of wizards with obscured faces levitating the family of muggles in the air the family of muggles that sort of preside over this campground um uh they seem to be toying with them other people are panicking tents are on fire things are descending into chaos um to keep them safe uh mr weasley tells his his younger children and harry and hermione to go off into the woods and wait for further instructions um they do so and as they're wandering around in the forest, they get lost. 
Suddenly, there's a thing in the air, which they later learn is called the Dark Mark. It's a giant skull with a snake coming out of it like a tongue. Androgynous, I see ya. I'll be right with you. Um, snake coming out of it like a tongue, and people panic. People panic, even more than before. It's already chaos, and people are screaming um, at this symbol up in the air. Ron, uh, see, Harry doesn't know what it is, which makes sense, but oddly, Ron doesn't know either, and Hermione seems to. Um, it would appear this is the sign that Voldemort's supporters used whenever they killed. And I think uh, Mr. Weasley gives us the best uh, breakdown of why this is so disturbing to wizards. You know, imagine coming home. You, you in your life, or imagine coming home after school, after work, what have you. You get home and above your house or your apartment, what have you. There's this, you know, smoke trail. And you recognize the smoke trail as meaning someone in there is dead. Could be someone that you care about. So it makes sense that there is terror attached to this symbol. Um, they all manage to reconnect. They learn some things. Uh, Mr. Weasley gives sort of a, uh, Mr. Weasley gives this this explanation about why it's such a big deal. But uh, in the in the time at the very end of their sort of traipse through the forest, they find that. The house elf, Winky, uh, she was found with Harry's wand just after whoever cast the dark mark into the air. Um, after some arguing, Mr. Crouch decides he is going to be presenting Winky with clothes, which means she's been fired. One of the more horrible fates that can befall a house elf in their minds. Okay, sorry, androgynous. I love to read, but I usually have other things to do, so it's nice to listen to you read as I continue to do other things. It's very appreciated. Excellent. It means you're using this correctly. You are also using this correctly if you have a hard time reading. If you're young and reading hasn't quite caught up to you yet, it will. It'll get there. Read along with this. That would be... I would love if people would read along with this because... Um, and again, if you want to skip all this bit, Go ahead and skip forward until you see art. But um, one of the reasons that I do this is that because uh, a long time ago, my grandmother used to read us books on cassette tapes and then send them to us. That was one of the big ways that I learned to enjoy reading. I knew how to read at a, a, an appropriate age, you know. Um, I just didn't like it. I didn't realize that uh, being able to read is the treasure map. The treasure is what's inside all those dang books. I love them. Rachel says, how are you? And how is Ike? Ike is doing very well, actually. And it's been chaotic this week, so he's mellowed out a bit. The, the egg has been a little quieter, but next week, I'm guaranteeing it to you right now. Next week, it's happening. next week I do apologize it's been chaotic and uh, yeah I apologize about the uh, the apartment tour thing as well um, I like I said I definitely intended to get one up here but um, my footage although it's good it's solid footage um, it keeps corrupting somehow when I put it into the various editors that I've used so um, 
I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get that sorted out, but Ike for sure next week, hundred percent. So we've got our uh, summary down. We've got our discussion done. Uh, let me just say, uh, by the way, Julian, thank you for uh, marking our chapter beginnings. Um, I've got a couple of new subscribers: Carl Robota, Cheyenne Cook, um, Evelyn Mendoza. It's an exciting little time. Also, uh, Cheyenne Cook, thank you for uh, doing your work to get these things marked up. And I believe we are caught up. Daniel Spray, I might have mentioned Daniel Spray already, but um, I also don't feel like I get all of my notifications for new subscribers. I do apologize for sure if I don't catch you. So let's get into our next chapter. This is our final chapter for the night. Um, it's going to be a pretty short one. But before I, I uh, launch into the chapter, I will just ask, um, I think we're at a stage now where I, I can ask you guys to go ahead and share this with people. So if you've got people in your life who, uh, as I said, they're, they're struggling to read or they don't have time to read and uh, like androgynous, they like to you know put it on with other things. Let's get into our next chapter, shall we? Rachel, I love you. It's good to see you. As usual, if you've got anything you'd like to discuss while the chapter is going on, put it in chat. I'll either pause or we'll talk about it at the end. Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. Mr. Weasley woke them up after only a few hours sleep. He used magic to pack up the tents and they left the campsite as quickly as possible, passing Mr. Roberts at the door of his cottage. Mr. Roberts had a strange, dazed look about him, and he waved them off with a vague, Merry Christmas. It'll be all right, said Mr. Weasley quietly as they marched off the moor. Sometimes, when a person's memory is modified, it makes him a bit disoriented for a while. That was a big thing they had to make him forget. Hazel. Mm. Basil. And when they reached it, they found a great number of witches and wizards gathered around Basil, the keeper of the port keys, all clamoring to get away from the campsite as quickly as possible. Mr. Weasley had a hurried discussion with Basil. They joined the queue and were able to take an old rubber tire back to Stoat's Head Hill before the sun had really risen. They walked back through Ottery St. Catchpole and up the damp lane toward the burrow in the new dawn light talking very little because they were so exhausted and thinking longingly of their breakfast. As they rounded the corner and the burrow came into view, a cry echoed across the lane. Oh, thank goodness, thank goodness! Mrs. Weasley, who had evidently been waiting for them in the front yard, came running toward them, still wearing her bedroom slippers, her face pale and strained. A rolled-up copy of the Daily Prophet clutched in her hand. Arthur, I've been so worried, so worried. She flung her arms around Mr. Weasley's neck, and the Daily Prophet fell out of her limp hand onto the ground. Looking down, Harry saw the headline. Scenes of terror at the Quidditch World Cup. 
complete with a twinkling black-and-white photograph of the dark mark over the treetops. You're all right, Mrs. Weasley muttered distractedly, releasing Mr. Weasley and staring around at them all with red eyes. You're alive. Oh, boys! And to everyone's surprise, she seized Fred and George and pulled them both into such a tight hug that their heads banged together. Ouch! Mum! You're strangling us! I shouted at you before you left, Mrs. Weasley said, starting to sob. It's all I've been thinking about. What if you know who had got you? The last thing I ever told you was that you didn't get enough owls. Oh, Fred! George! Come, come on, now, Molly. We're all perfectly okay, said Mr. Weasley soothingly, prizing her off the twins and leading her back toward the house. Bill, he added in an undertone, pick up that paper. I want to see what it says. When they were all crammed into the tiny kitchen, and Hermione made Mrs. Weasley a cup of tea, into which Mr. Weasley insisted on pouring a shot of Ogden's old fire whiskey, Bill handed his father the newspaper. Mr. Weasley scanned the front page while Percy looked over his shoulder. I knew it, said Mr. Weasley heavily. Ministry blunders. Culprits not apprehended. Locks security. Dark wizards running unchecked. National disgrace. Who wrote this? Ah, of course. Rita Skeeter. That woman's got it in for the Ministry of Magic, said Percy furiously. Last week she was saying that we're wasting our time quibbling about quid quibbling about cauldron thickness when we should be stamping out vampires. As if it wasn't specifically stated in paragraph 12 of the guidelines for the treatment of non-wizard part humans. Do us a favour, Purse, said Bill, yawning. Shut up. I'm mentioned, said Mr. Weasley, his eyes widening behind his glasses as he reached the bottom of the Daily Prophet article. Where? spluttered Mrs. Weasley, choking on her tea and whiskey. If I'd seen that, I would have known that you were alive. Not by name, said Mr. Weasley. Listen to this. If the terrified wizards and witches who waited breathlessly for news at the edge of the wood expected reassurance from the Ministry of Magic, they were sadly disappointed. A ministry official emerged some time after the appearance of the Dark Mark, alleging that nobody had been hurt, but refused to give any more information. Whether this statement will be enough to crush the rumours that several bodies were removed from the woods an hour later remains to be seen. Oh, really? said Mr. Weasley in exasperation, handing the paper to Percy. To Percy. Nobody was hurt. What was I supposed to say? Rumours that several bodies were transported from the wood. Well, there certainly will be rumours now that she's printed that. He heaved a deep sigh. <sighs> Molly, I'm going to have to go into the office. This is going to take some smoothing over. 
I'll come with you, father, said Percy importantly. Mr. Crouch will need all hands on deck. I can give him my cauldron report in person. He bustled out of the kitchen. Mrs. Weasley looked most upset. Arthur, you're supposed to be on holiday. This hasn't got anything to do with your office. Surely they can handle this without you. I've got to go, Molly, said Mr. Weasley. I've made things worse. I'll just change my robes and I'll be off. Mrs. Weasley, said Harry suddenly, unable to contain himself. Hedwig hasn't arrived with a letter for me, has she? Hedwig, dear, said Mrs. Weasley, distracted. No, no, there, there hasn't been any post at all. Ron and Hermione looked curiously at Harry. With a meaningful look at both of them, he said, All right, if I go and dump my stuff in your room, Ron? Yeah, I think I will too, said Ron at once. Hermione? Yes, she said quickly, and the three of them marched out of the kitchen and up the stairs. What's up, Harry? said Ron, the moment they had closed the door of the attic room behind them. There's something I haven't told you, he said. On Saturday morning, I woke up with my scar hurting again. Ron's and Hermione's reaction were almost exactly the same as Harry had imagined them, back in his bedroom on Privet Drive. Hermione gasped and started making suggestions at once, mentioning a number of reference books and everybody from Albus Dumbledore to Madame Pomfrey, the Hogwarts nurse. Ron simply looked dumbstruck. But he wasn't there, was he? You know who? I mean... Last time your scar kept hurting, he was at Hogwarts, wasn't he? I'm sure that he wasn't on Privet Drive, said Harry, but I was remembering something about him. I was dreaming. About him and Peter, you know? Wormtail? I, I can't remember all of it now, but they were plotting to kill someone. He had teetered for a moment on the verge of saying, Me but couldn't bring himself to make Hermione look any more horrified than she already did. It was only a dream, said Ron bracingly. Just a nightmare. Yeah, but was it though? said Harry, turning to look out of the window at the brightening sky. It's weird, isn't it? My scar hurts and three days later the Death Eaters are on the march. Voldemort's sign is up in the sky again. Don't say his name, Ron hissed through gritted teeth. And remember what Professor Trelawney said, Harry went on. Ignoring Ron. At the end of last year. Professor Trelawney was their divination teacher at Hogwarts. Hermione's terrified look vanished as she let out a derisive snort. Oh, Harry, you're not going to pay any attention to that... whatever that old fraud says. You weren't there, said Harry. You didn't hear her. This, this time was different. I told you, she went into a trance. A real one. And she said the Dark Lord would rise again. 
greater and more terrible than ever before. And he'd manage it because his servant was going to go back to him, and that night Wormtail escaped. There was a silence in which Ron fidgeted absent-mindedly with a hole in his Chudley Cannon's bedspread. Why were you asking if Hedwig had come, Harry? Hermione asked. Are you expecting a letter? I told Sirius about my scar, said Harry, shrugging. I'm waiting for his answer. Oh, good thinking, said Ron, his expression clearing. I bet Sirius will know what to do. I hoped he'd get back to me quickly, said Harry. But we don't know where Sirius is. He could be in Africa or somewhere, couldn't he? Said Hermione reasonably. Hedwig's not going to manage that journey in a few days. Yeah, I know, said Harry. But there was a leaden feeling in his stomach as he looked out of the window at the Hedwig free sky. Come and have a game of Quidditch in the orchard, Harry, said Ron. Come on, three on three. Bill, Charlie and Fred and George will play. You can try out the Ronsky feint. Ron? said Hermione in an I don't think you're being very sensitive sort of voice. Harry doesn't want to play Quidditch right now. He's worried and he's tired. We all need to go to bed. Yeah, I want to play Quidditch, said Harry suddenly. Hang on, I'll go get my firebolt. Hermione left the room, muttering something that sounded very much like, Boys! Neither Mr. Weasley nor Percy was at home much over the following week. Both left the house each morning before the rest of the family got up, and returned well after dinner every night. It's been an absolute uproar, Percy told them importantly, the Sunday before they were due to return to Hogwarts. I've been putting out fires all week. People keep sending howlers, and of course, if you don't open a howler straight away, it explodes. Scorch marks all over my desk, and my best quill reduced to cinders. Why are they all sending howlers? asked Ginny who was mending her copy of One Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi with tape on the rug in front of the living room fire. Complaining about security at the World Cup, said Percy. They want compensation for their ruined property. Mundungus Fetches put in a claim for a twelve-bedroom tent with an ensuite jacuzzi, but I've got his number. I know for a fact he was sleeping under a cloak propped up on sticks. Mrs. Weasley glanced at the grandfather clock in the corner. Harry liked this clock. It was completely useless. It was completely useless if you wanted to know the time, but otherwise very informative. It had nine golden hands, and each of them was engraved with one of the Weasley family's names. There were no numerals around the face, but descriptions of where each family member might be. Home, school, and work were there, but there was also Traveling, lost, hospital, prison, and, in the position where the number 12 would be on a normal clock, mortal peril. 
Eight of the hands were currently pointed to the home position, but Mr. Weasley's, which was the longest, was still pointing to work. Mrs. Weasley sighed. Your father hasn't had to go in to the office on weekends since the days of you-know-who, she said. They're working him far too hard. His dinner's going to be ruined if he doesn't come home soon. Well, father feels he's got to make up for his mistake at the match, doesn't he? said Percy. If truth be told, he was a tad unwise to make a public statement without clearing it with his head of department first. "'Don't you dare blame your father for that wretched Skeeter woman's writing,' said Mrs. Weasley, flaring up at once. "'If Dad hadn't said anything, old Rita would have just said it was disgraceful that nobody from the Ministry had commented,' said Bill, who was playing chess with Ron. "'Rita Skeeter never makes anyone look good. Remember, she interviewed all the Gringotts charmbreakers once. She called me a long-haired pillock.' "'Well, it is a bit long, dear,' said Mrs. Weasley gently. "'If you'd just let me.' "'No, Mum.' Rain lashed against the living-room window. Hermione was immersed in the standard book of spells, grade four, copies of which Mrs. Weasley had brought for... Hermione was immersed in the Standard Book of Spells Grade 4, copies of which Mrs. Weasley had bought for her, Harry, and Ron in Diagon Alley. I figured it out. I'm good at words. Charlie was darning a fireproof balaclava. Ron was polishing... Mm, Harry was polishing his firebolt, the broomstick servicing kit Hermione had given him for his 13th birthday, open at his feet. Fred and George were sitting in a far corner. Quills out, talking in whispers, their heads bent over a piece of parchment. "'What are you two up to?' said Mrs. Weasley sharply, her eyes on the twins. Uh, "'Homework,' said Fred vaguely. "'Don't be ridiculous, you're still on holiday,' said Mrs. Weasley. "'Yeah, we've left it a bit late,' said George. "'You're not, by any chance, writing out a new order form, are you?' said Mrs. Weasley shrewdly. "'You wouldn't be thinking of restarting Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, by any chance?' "'Now, Mum,' said Fred, looking up at her, a pained look on his face. "'If the Hogwarts Express crashed tomorrow, and George and I died, how would you feel to know that the last thing we ever heard from you was an unfounded accusation. Everyone laughed, even Mrs. Weasley. Oh, your father's coming, she said suddenly, looking up at the clock again. Mr. Weasley's hand had suddenly spun from work to travelling. A second later it had shuddered to a halt on home with the others, and they heard him calling from the kitchen. Come in, Arthur! called Mrs. Weasley, hurrying out of the room. A few moments later, Mr. Weasley came into the warm living room carrying his dinner on a tray. He looked completely exhausted. Oh, well, the fat is really in the fire now, 
he told Mrs. Weasley as he sat down in an armchair near the hearth, and toyed unenthusiastically with a somewhat shriveled cauliflower. Rita Skeet has been ferreting around all week, looking for more ministry mess-ups to report. Now she's found out about poor old Bertha going missing. So that'll be the headline in the Prophet tomorrow. Ah, I told Bagman he should have sent someone to look for her ages ago. Mr Crouch has been saying it for weeks and weeks, said Percy swiftly. Crouch is very lucky Rita hasn't found out about Winky, said Mr Weasley irritably. There'll be a week's worth of headlines in his house... Oh, of headlines about his house elf being caught holding the wand that conjured the dark mark. I thought we all agreed that the elf, while irresponsible, did not conjure the mark, said Percy hotly. If you ask me, Mr. Crouch is very lucky that no one at the Daily Prophet knows how mean he is to elves, said Hermione angrily. Now look here, Hermione, said Percy. A high-ranking ministry official like Mr. Crouch deserves unswerving obedience from his servants. His slave, you mean, said Hermione, her voice rising passionately. Because he didn't pay Winky, did he? He didn't pay Winky, did he? I think you'd all better go upstairs and check that you've packed properly, said Mrs. Weasley, breaking up the argument. Come on now, all of you. Harry repacked his broomstick servicing kit, put his firebolt over his shoulder, and went back upstairs with Ron. The rain sounded even louder at the top of the house, accompanied by loud whistlings and moans from the attic, not to mention sporadic howls from the ghoul who lived in the attic. Oh, dang it. The rain sounded even louder at the top of the house, accompanied by loud whistlings and moans from the wind, not to mention sporadic howls from the ghoul who lived in the attic. Pigwidgeon began twittering and zooming around his cage when they entered. The sight of the half-packed trunks seemed to have sent him into a frenzy of excitement. Oh, bung him some owl treats, said Ron, throwing a packet across to Harry. I marshalled him up. Harry poked a few owl treats through the bars of Pigwidgeon's cage, then turned to his trunk. Hedwig's cage stood next to it, still empty. been over a week, Harry said, looking at Hedwig's deserted perch. Ron, you don't reckon Sirius has been caught, do you? No, nah, would have shown up in the Daily Prophet, said Ron. The Ministry would want to show they caught someone, wouldn't they? Yeah, I suppose. Look, here's the stuff Mum got you from Diagon Alley. She got some gold out of your vault for you. And she's washed all your socks. <laughs> he heaved a pile of parcels onto Harry's camp bed and dropped the money bag and a load of socks next to it. Harry started unwrapping the, the mm, Harry started unwrapping the shopping. Apart from the standard book of spells, Grade Four, by Miranda Goshawk, he had a handful of new quills, a dozen rolls of parchment, and refills for his potion making kit. He had been running low on spine of lionfish and Ellis, mm, essence of belladonna. He was just 
piling underwear into his cauldron when Ron made a loud noise of disgust behind him. Oh, what is that supposed to be? He was holding up something that looked to Harry like a long maroon velvet dress. It had a moldy-looking lace frill at the collar and matching lace cuffs. There was a knock on the door, and Mrs. Weasley entered, carrying an armful of freshly laundered Hogwarts robes. There you are, she said, sorting them into two piles. Now mind you pack them properly so that they don't crease. Mum, you've given me Ginny's new dress, said Ron, handing it to her. Of course I haven't, said Mrs. Weasley. That's for you. Dress robes. What? said Ron, looking horror-struck. Dress robes, repeated Mrs. Weasley. It says on your school list that you're supposed to have new dress robes this year. Uh, robes for formal occasions. Oh, not new ones, but it says, yeah. It says on your school list you're supposed to have dress robes for this year. Robes for formal occasions. You've got to be kidding, said Ron in disbelief. I'm not wearing that. No way. Everyone wears them, Ron, said Mrs. Weasley crossly. They're all like that. Your father's got some for smart parties. I'll go starkers before I put that on, said Ron stubbornly. Don't be so silly, said, Ron, said Mrs. Weasley. You've got to have dress robes. They're on your list. I've got some for you too, Harry. Show him. In some trepidation, Harry opened the last parcel on his camp bed. It wasn't as bad as he had expected, however. His dress robes didn't have any lace on them at all. In fact, they were more or less the same as his school ones, except that they were bottle green instead of black. I thought that they'd bring out the colour of your eyes, dear, said Mrs. Weasley fondly. Oh, well, they're okay, said Ron angrily, looking at Harry's robes. Why couldn't I have some like that? Because, well, I had to get your second hand, and there wasn't a lot of choice, said Mrs. Weasley, flushing. Harry looked away. He would willingly have split all the money in his Gringotts bank. Mmm, boy. Harry looked away. He would willingly have split all the money in his Gringotts vault with the Weasleys, but he knew they would never take it. I'm not wearing them, Ron was staying stubbornly. Never. Fine, snapped Mrs. Weasley. Go naked, and Harry, make sure you get a picture of him, goodness knows, I could do with a laugh. She left the room, slamming the door behind her. There was a funny spluttering noise from behind them. Pigwidgeon was choking on an overlarge owl treat. Why is everything I own rubbish? said Ron furiously, striding across the room to unstick Pigwidgeon's beak. And that is the end of chapter 10. Thank you all so much for watching. I do appreciate you. As always, I hope you have a fantastic week. I've got more unpacking to do, so the post show is going to be a little quiet, a little short today. I think that's all right. 
I'm very much looking forward to getting, you know, fully back in the swing of this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited because I get to set this space up here as a formal, like, streaming station. I'm going to get my my uh, lighting worked out. I'm going to try to get this this microphone maybe somewhere a little bit further off screen. Something like that. Who knows? But I appreciate you for watching. Uh, I'd love to see uh, some new faces in here. So if you've got anybody who you think would like it, go ahead and tell them about it. Um, I've set up a Discord. You can find it in the uh, description for this video. Um, go ahead and check that out if you are interested uh, in connecting via Discord. But that is where I'm going to hang out. Not today, but in the future, that's where I'm going to hang out um, and do, you know, post-stream discussion, that sort of thing. Androgynous says, "'Twas a great read tonight." Julian says, yay, I'm glad to have made it to this week. And, and something, androgynous, thank you very much, androgynous. It, I thought it went pretty well. Um, still got to get my, I got to, I wasn't super focused tonight, which, uh, you know, it, ha it happens. Um, some of those, some of those initial voices tonight were harsh. Rachel says, mom says she loves you so, so much. Thanks, mom. <laughs> I love you guys. She also says that Sunday nights are complete with my voice. Fantastic. Get get out of my face, pop filter. Shall you? You shall. Okay. I'm liking this. I've I've I went through the whole stream and I didn't have to bump the uh, delay back up. I've been at a one second delay this whole time. So if you guys say something, I get it. Uh, this is about as immediately as I could possibly get it. So. If you want to run some tests, the next person that pops up that something ends up a chat. Julian, oops, I forgot to subscribe. Julian. Julian. The worst sin of all, of all the YouTube sins. <laughs> it's all right. I do like subscriber numbers, though. Um, it's always fun to see that number, like, slowly tick up. And it's been ticking up faster than it ever has before, you know? For a full year, it was, you know, I hung around, like... 10 15 i think i'm nearing i'm i'm closing in on 100 slowly you know um over the past couple of weeks it's been fun it's been fun and uh, i really enjoy doing this a lot so ultimately the subscriber numbers truly don't matter there have been some things where i you know i've i've looked into doing like you know youtube youtube content and stuff and i was like boy i really love to get like a bunch of subscribers on this this one this thing that I'm doing here, sidecar stories, I've enjoyed it too much to care. You know, I'm like, I've, I'm going to fully admit I've cared at other times, but with sidecar, it's just been a lot of fun to do. And it's really helpful that I love Harry Potter. Of course, it's really helpful that I've got you guys. Um, oh, good grief. Julian, it's 4am there. All right. Have a great night. I'm going to, I'm going to calculate where in the world you are. Eight to four. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure that out later on. But uh, <laughs> don't harsh Julian. That's all right. Have a good night, everybody. I love you so 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 much. Says Rachel. Have an amazing night. I hope unpacking goes well, and I hope you have a really great night and a great night's sleep. I think I shall. Getting used to the bed again because it's in a new place, different sounds outside the window, etc. Okay, that's it for me. I will see you guys next week at the same time. And I love you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.